turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We want to look at Hannah uh, agonizes in prayer and God hears her prayer. And so many times, you know, we, we can come to that place where, uh, is there anything else I can do besides prayer? Uh, prayer is the ultimate. Uh, prayer is the key to touching uh, the hem of uh, Jesus' garment. And so this woman agonized in prayer because she waited and waited, and she was trying to be as patient as possible, and, and a man-child had not come. But you're going to see in the teaching, sometimes God has to get a hold of us. Sometimes God has to show you over and over His will. And we're going to see that it was God's will for her to relinquish uh, young Samuel. She didn't know that, but it took time. Because Samuel was going to be the first prophet in, in Israel. And so, so many times we say, Lord, aren't you listening? Lord, aren't you hearing? Lord, I'm crying out to you. Lord, the tears are flowing. Lord, I'm in anguish. And this is where she was. And yet, God doesn't turn a deaf ear. God hears our prayers. But it's His time. And so, let's pray quickly. Father, we ask you to help us in in the study tonight. As I had uh, the intentions of doing two chapters, but... Uh, There was so much here, and you spoke to my heart uh, concerning uh, prayer. And and what a privilege and what an honor, uh, what a tool uh, that we have as Christians uh, to pray. And so, Lord, encourage our hearts here tonight. And again, we pray for Dale and her family, and Lord, for her father. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, Samuel is the first Old Testament prophet. He's the first Old Testament prophet of God to the nation of Israel. Interesting, you can read that in Acts chapter 3, verse 24. Samuel follows the book of Judges and the book of Ruth. Remember, in the writings of the Old Testament, uh, you would have uh, one book, the book of Samuel, uh, before they uh, made our Bibles up and made separations and such. And so you would have one book uh, for the kings. You would have one book uh, for the chronicles. And again, you have one book uh, for First uh, Samuel or for Samuel. And so the divisions were made up later. I'll, I'll speak about that a little bit more. Now, the author of the book of First Samuel, we really don't have an insight, but the Talmud uh, says that Samuel wrote up to chapter 25 because then he passes away. And then it was followed by Gad, and then it was followed by Nathan. Now, we don't know that. I give that to you because when you prepare a study in Samuel, you're going to come up uh, to these uh, intakes on who wrote the book of Samuel. And I always like to look at it because there's always people say, no, he didn't write it. Uh, This other one was there. Well, we have to come to one agreement. Old Testament, New Testament. The Holy Spirit was there and he gave it to men, he gave it to women, uh, what to write. And so it's important for us to see that. And no matter who did the actual writing, 
the dictation, if you may, uh, came from the Holy Spirit. Now, the type of book of 1 Samuel, it's a historical book uh, of the nation of Israel. And I want you to listen to the theme. Very important here. There's so much of it. The theme of the book, Israel's transition into the time of the kings, because it's going to set you up. 1 Samuel uh, presents the personal history of Samuel, uh, the first prophet. He's the final judge in Israel. And now the first prophet of Israel. Uh, the book of 1 Samuel is a transitional period in Israel's history as the nation moves from a theocracy, in other words, ruled by God, to a monarchy ruled by man. But it was not a true theocracy because uh, they weren't following God as their king. Literally, they were moving from anarchy. And I'm going to show you why. And, and the word anarchy, there was spiritual chaos. We recall in the book of Judges, and here was the key of the book of Judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so 1 Samuel ushers us into Israel's monarchy, having an earthly king. We will study the life of Samuel. We will study the life of Saul and of King David. Now we have, again, let's go back to uh, the divisions. We have First and Second Samuel. We have First and Second Kings. In the Hebrew writings, you have one book. One book for Samuel, one book for the kings. And one book for the Chronicles. Now, the Septuagint, it's interesting, it's the Hebrew Bible translated into the Greek. The Septuagint has uh, 1st Kings, 2nd Kings, 3rd Kings, and 4th Kings. And so, in a sense, uh, what we have before us, uh, we'll say we're going to study 1st Samuel. And then when we get through 1st Samuel, we're going to study 2nd uh, Samuel. When we begin the, the Kings, we'll study 1st Kings. And then we'll go into 2 Kings. So it kind of gives us a division. But I want you to think about it. It was one whole book. And the scrolls would be open and they would begin to read. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And the reason I wanted to spend some time, uh, it's because of prayer. Hannah is a woman of prayer. The ladies have done studies in time passion. And she was a, a prayer warrior. And God brought her to that place to be a prayer warrior. And sometimes, and listen to me, it takes a trial in my life. It takes unanswered prayer in my life. And then you begin to respond, Lord, you're not listening. Yes, he is. But you see, God's timing is not my timing. Hannah's timing is not God's timing. God had to get a hold of Hannah. And he does. And as you go through uh, the book of 1 Samuel and hear the first couple of chapters, you see what she goes through. And before we get into the text, I want each and every one of us here tonight, uh, I want you to think about a time in your walk with Christ. Because I can think of several times. When God brought you to that place of agonizing and prayer. He brought you to that place where you think, I haven't seen a breakthrough. I've gotten a hold of the horns of the, of the altar as they did in the Old Testament. And I sense that I'm not letting go until I pray this thing through. Lord, I'm not going to stop 
I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep fasting. And then I'm going to pray some more. And I'm going to fast some more. And then after a while, the enemy will come to you. You're doing it for nothing. My point is, keep praying. Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica at the conclusion of the first letter. In chapter 5, verse 17. And he says, pray without ceasing. Years ago when I studied that, and I looked at that particular verse, how can I have prayer all day long? And what Paul was saying, have a consciousness of prayer. I mean, you're driving down the street. And I know we like to listen to the radio. Hopefully, it's a Christian uh, radio program, or you have a Christian CD on, or you might have a Christian teaching. And rightfully so. But there's sometimes you have to turn the radio off and spend some time with the Lord, especially as you're driving. Uh, I have the most wonderful time in prayer when I'm driving be from here to Southern California, especially back in the days when uh, Mary and I would gather the kids. We'd leave here at six o'clock in the evening and we'd drive all night long so that that way they could go to sleep in the back of the van. And then Mary would go to sleep and then I would find time and solace uh, to pray. Now, obviously, you don't close your eyes in those situations. You're not going to make it. But a time of prayer, pray without ceasing, having a consciousness of prayer. And, and I'm going to share this with you. I know that God was hearing my prayers because I've told you in time past some of the ordeals we've gone through in driving to uh, Southern California. I mean, tremendous accidents on the road. And I moved over from one lane to the other. And we actually missed being part of the accident. There was one time, I, I don't know what hit the hood or the top of the, the, the van. I thought it was an owl of some type, a, a predator bird that flies at night. I mean, he really hit it. And uh, nothing. In fact, when I finally, in the daytime, I went up and looked, I, I thought it would be an indentation, you know, and it wasn't. And it's just the enemy. And you have to recognize the enemy. And so here's Hannah in a time of prayer. And so let's begin here. And her husband is Elkanah. And so we get a little bit of background. And he has another wife. And so he has two wives. One is producing children. And Hannah's not producing children. And it's Hannah that he loves the most. And he's agonizing in prayer. Or she is in prayer. She's go he's going to join the vow that she makes later. But look at 1 Samuel chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Now, there was a certain man in, in Ramatham, uh, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, uh, the son of uh, Joraham the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And so listen to Elkanah's background. From the tribe of Ephraim, Joseph's son was Ephraim, the husband of Hannah. The name uh, means possessed by God, Elkanah. And, and so, but there's another woman involved, and that's kind of a, uh, a situation that causes her problems for Hannah. In verse 2, and he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the other name of the other wife was Penena. Penena had children, 
But Hannah had no children. That's the key. Hannah means gracious in the Hebrew. Penena means pearl. And, and I think her name should have been something else because she was a bully. I don't know what the word bully uh, in Hebrew meant, but she bullied Hannah because Hannah could not conceive. And yet Penena basically was a baby machine. And, and I want you to think of a Hebrew mom. I want you to think of a Hebrew woman. She wants children. And God blessed them with children. That's how they built the nation up. And so here's the other wife, Penena, just jamming on her, bullying her, showing off her children, and she has none. And she's not in sin. She's following the rules and the regulations, if you may. Lord, I'm without child. And, and see, we kind of, in, in the Western mind, if the woman can't have a children, child, that is, or children, multiple, well, you keep trying and doing different things. You go see the doctor, and then eventually you'll say, you know what, let's, let's think about adoption. But in the Hebrew culture, uh, you brought forth children. It was automatic. And so can you imagine, ladies, what uh, Hannah uh, is going through here? And now in verse 3, it says, This man, Elkanah, that's who they're speaking of, went up from his city yearly uh, to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Now, they weren't in Jerusalem yet, but in Shiloh. Also, the two sons uh, of Eli, Abne and Phinehas, the priests uh, of the Lord, were there. And so Shiloh, I want you to get some background here. Uh, Shiloh was... Uh, the city and the territory of Ephraim, which served as Israel's religious center uh, during the days before the establishment of the United Kingdom of Israel. Uh, Shiloh was north of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes from uh, Bethel to Shechem, and south of Lebanon. Now you can find that in Judges chapter 21. Eli was the high priest at the time. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests, Levites, with him. But we're going to continue this study, and you're going to see that the two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were not good sons. And God eventually will judge them. Now, the, the name Hophni in, in Hebrew is pugilist, and the name Phinehas uh, is mouth of brass. Interesting, because brass in Scripture is generally uh, speaks about judgment. And they will be judged, both of them, uh, later. Now, here's something interesting. Uh, they spent the, the tabernacle of God was in Shiloh at this time. There's about a 400-year span that it was in Shiloh. And so they were accustomed to going up, especially uh, in the feast days. But going up, once a year at least, and this is what we're seeing here. And so in verse 4, And whenever the time came for Elkanah, the husband, to make an offering, he would give portions to Penena, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. It was customary to do so. Because you would make offerings to the Lord in a burnt offering. 
And there would be portions, and this is going to get uh, Eli's sons in trouble, portions of the meat offerings that would go to the priesthood and to the Levites, and obviously to the high priest. But I want you to think about this. Hannah really doesn't have anything to be grateful for. And I'm saying that uh, with tongue in cheek because she has to be thankful for the Lord. But she wants a, a child. And we read here that Penina had children. She had, she had men, boy children, and girl children. So she had plenty of offsprings coming up. And so the custom of going up and to pray. And now notice how he takes some of the meat offering. But to Hannah, in verse 5, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb. Would you underline that in your Bible so that you can remember when the things that happen in your life, when the things that happen in my life, you blame a lot of issues, a lot of things, and sometimes the enemy's involved, yes. Sometimes my flesh is involved. But here's a situation where it says here that the Lord closed her womb. And you say, well, God, why would you do that? And you're going to see. There was obviously a purpose and a plan. Don't raise your hand, but how many times we, you know, we'll say, Lord, why are you doing that? Lord, I'm one of your servants. Lord, I'm, I'm one of your disciples. Lord, I'm following you. Lord, I'm even serving in the ministry. Why am I going through this? And it's just human nature to do it. I still do it. You know, and, and then you think, Lord, leave me alone. Go get somebody else, you know. Maybe God wants to speak to us. Maybe God wants to clear the cobwebs of your heart. In the case here, you're going to see that God has to get a hold of Hannah. Because that man, man child that's going to come is the prophet of Israel. Oh, she was just ready to have children. That's it. She was just ready to have children. Little did she know that God wanted that child. But the Lord, at the bottom of verse 5, closed her womb. And her rival, who's the rival? Penena, also uh, provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. It was not bad enough that the Lord closed her womb. Now here comes Penena and just digging and just throwing everything at her. And she's at the point of, of despair. She's at the point, uh, I mean, provoking her uh, severely. The word to provoke here, uh, she was troubling her. She was troubling her greatly. Remember uh, with Abraham and Hagar and when Ishmael is born and then Ishmael starts to get older, uh, Ishmael starts to pick on uh, young Isaac. And so I, I love what Rachel, or not Rachel, Sarah, she says, hey, she needs to leave. She needs to leave because she knows that her son was the son of the spirit not of the flesh. And so the provoking continues. Look at verse 7. So it was year by year she went up to the house of the Lord that Penana, she provoked her, and there she wept. 
and she did not eat. This is a woman, listen, with a broken spirit. This is a woman when she doesn't care about eating no more. She's crying. She's weeping. In fact, you can get to the point where uh, you're cried out. And then people come and they want to comfort you. They want to encourage you. Let me make you something to eat. And you just don't feel like eating. That's sorrow of the soul. And we're going to see that. And so in, in verse 8, Hannah makes a vow. Now, to us, a vow is a promise. To us, a vow, forgive me, but we break promises. We break vows. Lord, you do this for me, I will never miss church. Lord, in fact, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to go into the ministry, Lord. And God answers prayer. And next Sunday, after the answer prayer, you're off to Elephant Butte. And then, what about the ministry? Oh, come on. Pastor Bob and the rest of the guys can take care of that. It's, it's human nature. And God, that's why the Bible says, don't be making promises and don't be, uh, you know, taking these vows. Unless you're going to keep them. And most of the time, we just don't keep them. In verse 8, then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? And why is your heart grieved? And listen to a typical male. I, I'm one of you guys. So, And then what does he say? Am I not better to you than ten sons? You have me. That's all you need. And that's a typical, uh, you know, the old 70s term male chauvinist. He thinks he's got it all together. He doesn't see her heart. He doesn't see her heart. And men, we're basically insensitive. I mean, we just, that's our nature. And women, on the other hand, are very sensitive. And so we have to be very careful. And so listen to what's going on here. Uh, her heart is broken. Uh, that's what it's telling us here. She was grieved in her heart. There was pain in, your, in her heart. I don't know if you've ever gone through a situation, like I said, and it's very painful, it's very hurtful, and you don't have heart trouble, but you sense, man, am I having a heart attack? Because I've been there. I've been there. When people hurt you so deep, and the answered prayer doesn't come, and so the hurt is there. It's right here. It hurts. And you can't take it away uh, from this woman. Her husband, Elkanah, thinking about himself, that's all. Notice now in verse 9. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And I want you to pay attention. This is uh, the high priest of Israel. He's supposed to be in tune with God. He's supposed to know what's happening. And I hope and pray you never judge somebody when, when they're praying and they're weeping and you go, man, it's every, every week what's going on. How do you know what they're going through? 
Because you could be in that same position next week or the following week. You should be encouraging. We should gather together. That's why we ask you to pray for some of the people in our church when they're going through a hardship of pain. It's very painful right now for Dale. This is her dad. And God could easily take him home. Just like any one of our parents. And, and so you're concerned. She can't go visit. He's not around the corner. Uh, he's a good distance from here. He's still in New Mexico, but it's a trip. You have to go. And so I want you to think about this. Now, uh, it goes further. Eli the priest is not going to be sensitive. In, in verse 10 it says, And she was in bitterness of soul. Heavy translation here. And prayed to the Lord, and she wept in anguish. The translation of bitterness of soul, she was in distress in her soul. She was in distress down deep inside of her soul. Pain. And she wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. And I can only, you know, imagine how how strong she was praying. Uh, I mean, how strong she was also weeping. I mean, there's that scene where there's can be uncontrollable weeping, wailing, and, and, you know, just losing it. Was this where she was at? I believe so. Bitterness of soul down deep inside, coming from the bowel area. Notice now verse 11. Uh, then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And notice the vow, the, the promise, and no razor shall come upon his head. So God has her where he wants her. Now, Hannah is taking heed. Why you haven't had a child? You wanted him for yourself. You wanted him to show off to Panana. You wanted him to grow up and maybe beat up some of her kids. I mean, we all have different motives. The only one that was hurting in Abraham and, and Hagar, it was Sarah. Abraham didn't see any problem with Ishmael. But Sarah said, Get that child out. Now, wait a minute. Wasn't it Sarah that said, go into my handmaiden? Because it's not me. It's you. And the seed has to come from you. But it's not through me. Go into her. And that was very customary, cultural at that time. And so here's Penena with children. And now, finally, Notice that the vow she takes here, then, right there at the bottom of verse 11, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And, and let me share this with you. For her to finally make that prayer, she was willing to give up her son so that most likely she's hoping, praying, she's going to have other children. And she does. But God wanted Samuel. He had a purpose. He had a reason. And so literally she says, I will give him back and I will make that he takes the, the vow of a Nazarene. And that's in Numbers chapter 6. 
how long had Hannah been praying? We're, we're not told, but it said years. And so this, this wasn't an overnight thing. But there was no answer. There was no answer. And yet God finally saw her heart. You see, God looks at the intentions of the heart. And he hadn't seen yet that she was ready to relinquish her son. And finally, when she made this vow, then God's seen it. Now, uh, the vow of the Nazarite, when you go back to Numbers chapter 6, it's a powerful vow. And uh, you know who took that vow? The family. Mom and dad did that for Samson. And yet Samson was horrible, the things that he did. And it wasn't until the end, no eyes, they gouged him out, they burned him out. And then finally, the, uh, they made sport of him at uh, the arena there and put him between the pillars. And he asked God, give me strength one more time. And he took everybody down. He took everybody down. It, it's called the Samson com- concept. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to take my own life with with all these people. And so this vow is made now. Verse 12. But And it happened. As she continued praying. Before the Lord. That Eli. Listen. Here's the high priest. Watched her mouth. He sees her praying in anguish. He sees her. Uh, you know. In bitterness of soul. Yet he doesn't know. And you're going to see that Eli. The priest. Is not that good of a. Of a, of a priest because he did not have control of his two sons. And we'll get to that later. In verse 13, now Hannah spoke in her heart. You see, you don't have to pray verbally. You don't have to pray with your hands and making motions. God sees the heart again. And so listen to the prayer here. She continually is praying in verse 12. Hannah spoke the prayer in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli, listen to him. He thinks she's drunk. This is how in tune he was. She, he thinks that she's drunk. This is why I said, be sensitive. If you see your brother, you see your sister in Christ. Husbands, you see your wife in agony of prayer. And, and we think something's wrong. And in all reality, she's trying to get a hold of God's heart. And that's exactly what's taking place here. And it's a tough place for her to be. I want you to flip ahead now, leave a marker, go to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. When you see people praying, and let's say you don't hear nothing. Now, because I'm the pastor of the church and we have... Corporate prayer, I start prayer. Uh, I, I want to pray uh, in between and throughout. I'll end in prayer. And there's always those that come to the prayer service and they don't say nothing. That doesn't mean they're not praying. They came to a prayer service. You don't necessarily have to say anything. God sees the heart. And sometimes we say stuff and your mind could be somewhere else. So God sees the heart. Now, I want you to see the verse. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Romans 8, look at verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, 
We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Verse 27, and the Father knows all hearts, uh, our hearts, he says, and the Father knows who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. Uh, for the Spirit pleads for us, believes in harmony with God, God's own will. And that's bottom line. Isn't that what I want? Isn't that what you want? And that is when I pray, I want God's will. I, I get very frustrated with the faith and prosperity movement. Uh, it's still out there, like it or not. It doesn't seem to be uh, as powerful as it used to be. But they're almost demanding God. And I, I have heard horror stories. And one particular story, I, I never forgot it. Uh, the husband had passed away. The wife had been praying. They're in a very strong faith and prosperity church. And they're supposed to, you know, pray this disease, this infirmity, this sickness out. And obviously the gentleman died. And at the church service, they had the casket right there in the middle. And... Uh, the deacons came, the elders came, and they went around the casket. This is what I heard, people that were there. And they would hit, slap the casket. Come on, get out of there. They would hit, kick the, the casket. I'll tell you what, so I, my family members would have took care of those deacons. How dare you? This is my loved one. Yes, this is her husband, but this is my brother, it's my uncle. But this is the mentality. At the end of the service, I heard that they said this. They pointed at her, the wife, because of your lack of faith that he didn't rise from the dead. You know, if your doctrine works, if the faith and prosperity, you want to move some caskets, go to Africa. People are dying constantly. People in famine conditions. I'm sorry, the doctrine doesn't work. If God takes you home, he takes you home. If God heals you, he heals you. Has he raised people from the dead? Yes. But this was a, a, a charade in the church. It was not right. It was not right. And so here's Hannah. She's praying. And the spirit, I believe, is helping her. Years ago, we were back home in Southern California. Some of you heard the story, but I'm going to say it for some that haven't. We were at a prayer meeting, a home fellowship, and it was always my family members uh, in the very beginning. And so and my family made a Bible study. Trust me, it was a lot of them. And uh, my cousin, little Henry, I mean, he was going to church. He was serving God. He was on fire. A little guy, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. I can't remember. And we were in a circle. We're praying. And everybody went around and said a little prayer. It was cool. It was, it was nice. It was our family. And when it came to little Henry, his hands were so tight. You could see the redness. You could see the white knuckles. And he made some faces because everybody was waiting. It's Henry's turn to pray. And they're looking at him. And he's just making these grotesque faces. And he's just kind of churning. And I remember seeing that. And there were some of our family members that said, what's wrong with Henry? Listen, 
I believe his prayer was coming from the depths of his heart. The depths of his heart. And now Henry's a growing man, and uh, he's had his struggles, and yet he's serving the Lord right now. And so listen to what the scriptures are saying. We're going to deal some more with that. Look at verse 14 now. And, and so Eli, the priest, the high priest, said to her, How long will you be drunk? He's still not done. Uh, put your wine away uh, from you. He had no idea. He had no concept. Uh, her heart was praying. Her heart was for the Lord. I have to ask, where's Eli's heart? Where's Eli the high priest? He should know better. She's in anguish of pain in her heart. I mean, this woman is emptying of herself, not eating, not saying anything. She's praying down deep inside. If you may, she's She's bringing forth a gut prayer. Look at verse 15. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. She finally opens up. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. Listen to that. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Poured out my soul before the Lord. The word sorrowful spirit can be translated. She was a. She had a, a, a spirit of affliction. This woman was hurting. It was hurting like I shared earlier. Could it be that you feel the pain in your heart, whatever you're, uh, you're anguishing over in prayer, and you say, man, I'm having a heart attack. No, no. You're in tune, and God sees it. God hears it. The Bible teaches us uh, to pray hard. The Bible teaches us uh, to pray through. In fact, in the Psalms, it speaks about, you know, when you're crying out to the Lord, uh, the couch gets soaked. And God sees that. And there's another passage in the Psalms, and it says that God takes our tears and he places them in a bottle. And they actually had bottles uh, that were formed in such a way, and they put them under the eye to catch them. Does God have our tears in a bottle up in heaven? I'm saying to you that God hears our prayers. And God is listening uh, to Hannah. In verse 16, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. She's talking to Eli. For out of the abundance of, of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. I'm not a wicked woman. For out of my great complaint and bitterness in my spirit and soul, I have been speaking. My deep heartfelt prayer. Where Eli the priest couldn't see that she was praying. God saw it. God saw it. And that's why it's important to me. Uh, you, you think, well, you know, are they really praying? That's none of your business. Are you really praying? That person's hurting. You don't know what they're going through unless they've shared it with you. Unless they've shared it with you. Uh, she was in, in the depths of within herself in prayer. Not even saying nothing. Not even hungry. And so listen to the conclusion now. 
in verse 17. Finally. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition. Which you have asked of him. Which you are praying. Which you are asking. May the Lord answer you. And so does Eli finally see it? Or is he taking you know, direction from her, scolding him. I am in anguish of prayer. I'm not drunk. I'm not wicked. I'm not intoxicated. It's the spirit within me. It's drawing it out. And I'll tell you, she was a woman of prayer. And so now we come to this conclusion, up to verse 18. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way, and finally she ate. She broke through. And her face was no longer sad. And so we come to the conclusion of the prayer of Hannah. You have to see God's heart. Listen, as well as Hannah's heart. Here is a good point to make when we pray. Where is my heart in the midst of the prayer? She prayed for years, the Bible was saying. God was waiting. It's not that he wasn't listening, but God was waiting. And now he listened finally or answered the prayer. And it's confirmed. Because she finally says, I'll give the child back. She finally conforms, listen, to God's will. God's will. And see, as I shared before in the Faith of Prosperity uh, teachings and and pastors that bring this forth, and you're telling God what to do? You know who you are? You're just minute, uh, puny man, it says in Psalm 8. Who is man that you're mindful of him? And so I ask God, you ask God. But to demand from God? That, that's, that's, that's an error. You know, oftentimes when I'm watching these guys on television uh, through the years, and I'm sitting there in the living room. Lord, get them. Get them. And they've come to the place of ignorance. They believe what they're teaching is right. Where's the hand of God? Who am I to tell God what to do? But when I pray, when you pray, I seek God's will. God. Goes before Hannah. He's going to answer her. Now. Besides having a man child. Was she ready to boast of that man child? Maybe that had to be broken. Again as we shared earlier. Does she want to just show off to uh, Penina the other wife? Whatever the situation. She had to go through the fire. But God was looking for a man child. God was looking for the first prophet in Israel. Now, I'm going to take you through some verses. If you want to keep up, fine. If you don't, write them down, please. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. If you want to write that down, uh, I'm going to just go through it. Jeremiah is called to be what? A prophet of God. And uh, they estimate he preached for 55 years. Listen to this. No converts. No converts. And he kept going. Okay, so the call upon Jeremiah the prophet. 
There's a call upon Samuel, the prophet. Listen to me now. There's a call upon you. There's a call upon me. I know that. But sometimes you think, well, this, that's Pastor Bob. What about you? God places a call on you. Maybe not to the pulpit, but God places a call on you. I love Jeremiah. Chapter 1, verse 5. The Lord says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were uh, born, I sanctified you. I set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And so we have legalized abortion. It's not a tissue. I'm sorry. It's a human being that God has developed. God says, I knew you, Jeremiah, when you were in your mother's womb. That's the beauty. God knew us way back. I never understood. I never knew I was going to go into the ministry. Never knew I was going to move uh, to New Mexico. Some of you have moved here. and Some of you are going to move somewhere else. God has ways. He has reasons. He has purpose. And it's tough sometimes. Now, go with me to James chapter 4, verse 3. And again, I want you to pick up. I'm going to give you uh, the New King James. I'm going to give you the Amplified. And I'm going to give you the New Living Translation. Because James speaks about prayer. And he speaks about the importance of prayer. And he speaks about having that knowledge of how to pray. Not what I want, but what is it that God wants for me? How is it that you want me to pray for this, Lord? And so in James chapter 4, verse 3, James says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask a miss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. I want you to think of the prayers you might have made throughout the years. And, and again, uh, you're thinking, okay, this, this is for the Lord. But I want you to really be honest you later, or even years later, you recognize, Lord, forgive me. I was being very uh, selfish there. I was thinking about Bob. That's it. And we're all guilty of that. Uh, and look at the Amplified, just a little more uh, deeper translation. Or do you ask God for them, speaking of the prayer, and yet fail to receive it? Because you ask it with a wrong purpose and evil, selfish, selfish motives. Your intentions is when you get what you desire uh, to spend it in sensual pleasure. Spend it on self. That's it. Again, the Amplified Bible just takes it a little more. One more translation, James 4.3, New Living Translation. And it says, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And, and here's what you, you hear pastors say it all the time. We, we want to turn God into Santa Claus. Here's my list and I'm behaving. I should get it. Or you, you have God in, in a lamp and you rub it and you want your three wishes. Be careful, because we need to be praying, Lord, what is your will in this, Lord? What is it that you want from me, Lord? What is it? What is it? 
It took uh, Hannah some time. It didn't happen overnight. She was so concerned about Penana. Uh, she was so concerned about, you know, I'm not getting, having a child. Lord, I don't get it. I'm a Hebrew woman. I'm supposed to have children. This is my husband. He says he loves me more than Penana. And yet she's, you know, popping kids left and right. Come on, Lord. I, I love Hannah. I see her heart. She's in anguish of prayer, as we shared earlier. Now, one more. Turn with me to 1 John, the epistle, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And I like the caption of my Bible. I'm just going to read these two verses. Confidence or assurance and compassion in prayer. God wants to hear your prayers. God wants to hear my prayers. I know you all can't come on Friday mornings at 10 o'clock. But we have a great time here of the group that comes for prayer. Sometimes there's 10 of us. Sometimes there's eight of us. Sometimes it's down to two or three. Uh, we just never know. But it's a time for prayer. And it's good. It's good. In First John chapter 5, look at verse 14. Now, this is the confidence, the word is assurance, that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. You can ask God for anything and everything. But are you praying God's will? Lord, I'm asking for this mountain, but if you don't want it in, in, in my you know, space, then I don't need it. Do we have the gumption to pray like that? Look at verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask for, we know that we have the petitions. Speaking about my asking, my prayers that we have asked of him. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaks about prayer. And he says, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. That's what Hannah did. She didn't give up. It took her years. I, I'm just like you guys. I don't want to spend that much time. But sometimes God has us to spend that kind of time. Sometimes God says, I want you to pray through this thing. There's a lesson in it. And some of you know this. We've prayed for individuals here in the fellowship. We've seen healings. We've seen God restore. And yet we've also seen people go home to be with the Lord. Isn't that an answered prayer? If we're praying God's will and God says, I'm going to take her home, I'm going to take him home, shouldn't we be rejoicing? You know, I've prayed for some people. As soon as I say amen, as soon as I say in Jesus' name, they give up the ghost. It, it freaks you out because you think you did it. But it's God's timing. And then we see them in the ICU unit and they got tubes running every which way and Doctors are saying, there's no hope, but we'll pray. But there's no hope. But we continue to pray until they unplug. And it's really tough. Because I'll be there with the family members, Pastor Bob, what should we do? I says, I can't make that call. This is something you have to do, you and your family. And I've been there. And the first time I experienced this, it, it, it shocked me. 
I asked the nurse, nobody was there. I says, how do you know when it's time to unplug? I see all the numbers and all that. And she says, we take the tube out and we smell it. I go, wow. Death is evident. Death is there. When Lazarus, uh, Lord, he's been dead for four days. And so the body shuts down. The machines are going. You, I've seen it. The chest is expanding, retracting, expanding, retracting. And it's the machine. And it's tough. The decisions had to be made for my mom. The decisions had to be made for my dad. And if they know the Lord, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. It's us. We can't let go. We can't let go. Pastor Raw had leukemia years back, and he shared, uh, you know, if I, he had always shared something of that nature. If I have cancer, I'm on my deathbed. Uh, you come to pray for me, and please just let me go. Let me go, because if you bring me back, I'm going to be angry at you. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And if God's not finished with us, uh, then he's going to use us in a mighty way. But does God heal? Yes. Does God take you home? Yes. Isn't that a healing? Yes. And so look at Hannah's heart. Now we're going to start to come to the conclusion. Samuel is obviously born now. Verse 19. And uh, the baby dedication. This is where we gather Baby dedication, not infant baptisms. And if you're part of a church that does that, you know, that's, that's between you and God. But uh, I see salvation come first and then water baptism. Uh, a child doesn't know the Lord. They need to be water baptized later when they come to Christ. And yet, in some cultures and in, in some religions, uh, as long as Johnny and little Mary are, are baptized as infants, they're going to heaven. It's not what the scriptures teach. The Bible says you must be born again. And so in verse 19 now, uh, Then they rose early in the morning, and they worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their home in Ram, at, at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. This is always speaking about sexually. And the Lord remembered her. And obviously they had sexual relationships before. They tried many times to have children. But here's the key. The Lord remembered her. Answered prayer. Answered prayer. And so it came to pass, verse 20, in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. And the literal translation of Samuel, asked or heard from God. When we pray, and Hannah did that, she prayed according to God's will. In God's will, I want that man-child. I have a reason. I have a purpose. I have a plan. But learn to pray God's will. Verse 21, Now the man Elkanah and all the house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. I think he joined his wife Hannah in the promise, in the vow, joined it up with Hannah. Look at verse 22. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, uh, then I will take him 
and that he may appear before the Lord and remain there. Listen to this, moms, forever. The weaning process for a Hebrew child was two to three years old, max. And so once he was weaned, and I mean, come on, you're just starting to know the child, and the child knows you. I mean, you know each other already, but uh, listen to the growing pains. <laughs> you taught him to walk. You taught him to go to the bathroom. And all these things, you see the first tooth, you got to give him to, uh, you know, to the Lord. You gotta, and then I'm thinking, <laughs> Lord, Eli the priest, you want me to leave my son there? God has a purpose. God has a plan. Listen, so Elkanah, her husband said to her, do what seems best uh, to you. Wait until you have weaned uh, the child, Samuel. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now, when uh, she had weaned him, uh, she took him up with her with three bulls, one epaph of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him uh, to the house of the Lord there in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull. And they brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. She didn't say it, but the one you accused of being drunk. She didn't rub it in, but I'm that woman. It had to have gone back into the memory. You know, that shows us again how much time had elapsed. And this woman gives me hope when it comes to the area of prayer. The child I prayed for in verse 27, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Answer prayer. Answer, answer prayer. And, and so in all reality, she gets the child. And she's going to turn the child back. It's still her son. You can't change that. And we're going to study that as we continue. But she gives him back. Because that was, that was the prayer. That was the condition. That was the answered vow. In verse 28, we come to the, the conclusion of chapter 1. Therefore, I also have lent him uh, to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worship the Lord there. Now, the word she's lending him to the Lord, it's not a good translation. But here is the position that Calvary Chapel takes in not water or infant baptism, but baby dedications. And some of you have been here when we've done baby dedications, and we read the portion of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. And then we read this portion in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. Jesus was circumcised, but then he was brought to the temple and dedicated unto the Lord. When did Jesus get water baptized? When he came into his public ministry. At the age of what? 30 years old. 
He goes to the Jordan. Who's baptizing? John. John the Baptist is baptizing when he sees Jesus. It is I that needs to be baptized by you. Jesus said, you have to do this. You have to do this. Now, we're going to get, we're getting closer to May and June, usually uh, sometime in June. Uh, we have a water baptism at Scott and uh, Elvia's house, and it's a beautiful time. If you haven't been water baptized, uh, you need to uh, sign up and we'll have water baptism. And sometimes there's those that, you know, were struggled through water baptism at another church and really never made a commitment to Christ until recent. And they're already up in age, and they want to be water baptized. And I, we will not deny anybody. And sometimes a mom and a dad come, and they say, can uh, my son, he's 10, 12, uh, my daughter, she's 10, 12, uh, they want to be water baptized. We're, we're, you know, I, I said I would ask the pastor. I says, you know, Pastor Jay and I and the other guys will baptize your children, your son, your daughter. Uh, but you as mom and dad, you need to sit down and talk to them. You need to ask them, are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Have you made a commitment to Christ? And are you ready for water baptism? Water baptism is an outward work. The baptism that wants to take place is inside our hearts. That's the born again experience. And it's been a beautiful time when we get together. Okay, Luke chapter 2, verse 22 now, when the days of her purification, speaking of Mary, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. To present him to the Lord. In verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what he is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, whatever it might be, or a young pigeon. But Hannah brought Samuel to the Lord. Jesus was brought and dedicated unto the Lord. And again, we have to explain this sometimes. Dedicating yourself to the Lord, your children dedicating themselves to the Lord, that's not their salvation. I believe that's something you need to do. But your salvation is an inward work. It's interesting to me throughout the years, people want to do the outward thing for salvation. If I give so much money, if I serve so much, if I clean, if I paint, that's great. But that's not your salvation. Come Thanksgiving, all the celebrities are down at Skid Row and they're feeding everybody. That's great. But have they come? To know Jesus. And so learn tonight of the prayer of Hannah. She anguished in prayer. She had this prayer that came from the depths of her soul. Eli didn't even see it. But God saw it. And it wasn't until she was ready to relinquish her son. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, your goodness, your grace, your love, your mercy. Lord, thank you for taking us through a time of prayer, of the importance of prayer. We see Hannah's heart, Lord. We see her anguish of prayer. We see the broken heart in prayer.
And Lord, obviously you saw it. Teach us to pray. Jesus, when we pray according to your will, we leave it in your court. You yourself in Matthew chapter 26, when you're getting ready to go to the cross, you pray three times to the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. Even Jesus wanted the will of his Father. And so, Father, encourage us and minister to us. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And we all agree by saying, Amen.